Now will you turn with me to the book of Acts. And uh, I uh, want to take uh, my text from the latter part. I'm going to cover several chapters with you tonight, of course. But in the 26th uh, chapter of Acts, the 31st verse, And when they had gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. This man refers to Paul. Now I said that I was going to speak tonight on the Apostle Paul and his difficulties with the political leaders, the civil authorities, or the politicians. And we have here in the latter part of the book of Acts the most detailed record of Paul's troubles from the day he was arrested in Jerusalem until the end of his life. And uh, Luke, the beloved physician, is Paul's companion in all of this. Luke was with him in the temple. Luke was right there when all this beating was going on. Luke was with him in each hearing, each trial, each court case. He was right there. And then we find that Luke was with him on the journey to Rome. And I'm sure that the reason that Luke was permitted to travel with him was that he was a doctor. He was a physician. And because he was a physician and he was a doctor, he had this very, very close tie with the Apostle Paul and was with him on his different journeys. And so we have an eyewitness report, a first-hand report. There's nothing of a hearsay nature. This man, I saw it, I saw, I saw, I was there. And he's also writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit uh, with the aid of inspiration and the protections which that ha has given to all the records of the New Testament. Now Paul is beaten, he's imprisoned, they try to kill him. He's batted around in this prison and taken to Caesarea and in another place and all these different trials. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that everybody in an official capacity that had anything to do with him, except the high priest, all said he was innocent. Everybody that had anything to do with him, when they had a chance to hear what was going on, except the high priest, and you wouldn't imagine him to take any other view than he does, they all say that he's innocent. And yet every last one of them refused to clean the slate and get him loose and get him out so he can be a free man again. Every last one of them, for some reason or other, for some excuse, for some way, he's still bound, he's still bound, and finally he goes over to Rome on his great shipwreck journey to Rome. Perfectly innocent, but always a prisoner. Paul was perfectly innocent, but Paul was held in bonds and restrained and his liberty was restricted in these various ways. This was the Apostle Paul. Now as you look at these chapters from the day he was arrested, he had to deal with the captain, or Lysias is his name, Claudius Lysias. He had to deal with 
Ananias, the high priest. He had to deal with Felix, the governor. He had to deal with Festus, who took uh, Felix's place when he was transferred. And finally, he had to deal with King Agrippa. King Agrippa. Now, I'd like to show you first tonight that in each of these instances, in each of these instances, these authorities, with the exception of Ananias, were of the opinion that this man was, was without guilt. He was not guilty. When you come to this passage from which we've taken our text in the 26th chapter, if you'll turn to it, you find here that Festus inherited this man Paul as a prisoner. And Paul, he learned, it appealed to Caesar, but he didn't know what in the world he would tell Caesar about him. He didn't know what to write Caesar. He said, I've got to, the man's going to go to Caesar. I've got to give some sort of record of what's wrong with the fellow and why he's in bonds and what's the basis of his appeal. And so when Agrippa comes over with Bernice, he says, I've got a prisoner here. I don't know what to do with him. He's going to go to Augustus. He's made an appeal, but I can't write anything. Would you sit in on this case and let's hear the story? So he agrees to do it. And so you have the last two, you have Festus and Agrippa. And you come down to the end, verse 31, and when they had gone aside, that is Festus and Agrippa, they talked between themselves saying, this man doth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. So at this point, Festus is agreed that he hasn't done anything worthy of death or anything worthy of bonds. Agrippa's agreed that he hasn't done anything worthy of death or anything worthy of bonds. And why they don't say, well, this man, there's no use standing to Caesar. Let's uh, call him in here and ask him to withdraw his appeal. We'll turn him loose. But they didn't do it. They didn't do that. They let the appeal to Caesar stand. And we'll get into the reasons for that in a few moments. Now, will you turn back with me, please, to the point where the Apostle Paul was taken into custody here in the 21st chapter. And uh, he finds his way there into the, uh, into the uh, presence of the uh, chief captain, as he's called. And this chief captain's name is uh, Lysias. And uh, we have several references to him in his handling of Paul. But if you'll turn now a little over to the 23rd chapter, this whole section through here, we find that uh, Lysias has to write a letter to Felix, and he has to tell Felix what's wrong with this fella. And he's in difficulty too. He's got a problem on his hand too. And so if you'll notice, beginning with verse 26, then Claudius Lysias, or Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, and greetings. He's writing him a letter, see, and Luke's got the letter, and he's got the text of it. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then I came with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. He didn't understand it all until later on. Doesn't make any difference. These governors could fix up letters to suit their case. And when I, uh, when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of the questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. So there's a formal communication from Lysias over to uh, Felix 
saying that as far as we're concerned, as far as my knowledge of this is concerned, uh, there's no reason why this man should be in bonds and there's no reason why this man should be put to death. Well, beloved, what in the world is going on here? Well, all that happened is Paul was in the temple in a perfectly peaceful engagement, an endeavor. He wasn't disturbing anybody. And all of a sudden, some of these Jews from Asia see him, and there is the man. Thou art the man. And they stirred up such a stir and such a riot and such a, a rebellion against this man that they laid their hands on him, drug him, took him out of the temple, out on the street, and there they began to beat him and to flog him and to attack him. And all of this uproar filled the city, and finally the captain sent his men over there. And the captain, instead of arresting the men that caused the riot, he arrested Paul. And that's all in the world there was to it. Nothing else happened after that. Just all there was to it. Paul was the innocent victim of just a, a rioting. And they laid hands on the wrong man. That's how it started. Just read the record. And so the captain gets him in his charge and he finds out it's a religious problem. So... Ananias is the high priest and so he says well let Ananias see, see what he wants to do with him and if you'll notice in chapter 23 we read and Paul earnestly beholding the council he's over there before the council now so it's Sanhedrin the religious council men and brethren I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day didn't any more get his mouth open until Ananias commanded that he be smitten on the mouth smitten on the mouth. Paul was guilty. Paul, there was no question so far as Ananias is concerned. There was no justice, no judgment, nothing of that sort. And uh, Paul, of course, uh, engaged. I, I would like to spend the evening and just looking at this from the standpoint of how Paul handled the courts. That'd be a good subject. But tonight I'm looking at it not from the standpoint as to how Paul handled the courts, but how the courts handle Paul. And it's that line of thought that I want to develop, how these civil authorities, how these political authorities dealt with Paul. Well, in this instance, he's dealing with Ananias of the council. The Sanhedrin doesn't have a chance. No chance at all. Why, they're the crowd that demanded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to begin with. And they're the ones that have been stimulating all this opposition, the high priest. Why, Paul himself had gone to the high priest to get papers so he could go to Jerusalem to lay hands upon the Christians and put them in prison and kill them. There wasn't a chance before the council. Not at all. But Paul started to give his witness and Ananias, the high priest, had smite him and shut up his mouth and stop him. So Paul didn't get anywhere before this tribunal. We might as well just forget about this one. There wasn't a chance of any kind of the Apostle Paul before this ecclesiastical court. It was stacked against him. The whole thing had his judgment and his opinion set against him before he even got in before Ananias. So there's no problem here. He's just guilty. That's very, very plain. My, oh my, beloved, sometimes when I think of these ecclesiastical courts that we've had to deal with in the history of the church, my, oh my, think of the courts of the Roman Catholic Church and how they dealt with the dissenters and 
think of the courts of the Reformation period and think of the Inquisition and all the blood that was shed and think of these things, beloved. Is there any such thing as a fair court? Is there any such thing as, a, as an unprejudiced judge? Is there any such thing? Well, when you get into the religious field, beloved, there just isn't. That's all. These deep emotions and feelings and hatreds that are generated. And this is what the Apostle Paul was dealing here with in Annas, Ananias. Well, now let's get over to see Felix. Felix is the governor and he's a civil authority. And now he has this communication from uh, Lysias telling him that he has this man. He's turned over him so we can look at him. And if you ever saw a political uh, appointee that was any different from this one, I'd certainly like to see him because this man really fits the pattern. He gets a hold of this man, Paul, and, or Saul, and he says, well, he says, I'll bring Ananias down. So he comes down, and in verse 20, chapter 24, you have the accusations against Paul. The Jews all gave their assent of force to it. And then if you'll turn down to verse 22. The Apostle Paul just got saying that the only question he'd raised was out of the resurrection of the dead. Says, I'm called in question of you this day. Then Felix heard these things. When he heard them, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he, what did he do with them? Deferred them. He should have decided right then and there that it was a religious question that had to do with the law of the Jews, had nothing to do with Roman civil affairs, that Paul wasn't guilty of bonds. He should have said, well, here, I have a perfect knowledge of this thing now. As far as I'm concerned, turn him loose and let him go. When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. He already had a letter from Lysias. He already had a communication from Lysias in his hand telling him what the findings were and the man hadn't done anything guilty of death. He listened to Paul. He says right here that he hasn't found anything, but what does he do about it? He just defers it. He just defers it. He just defers it. Postpones it and postpones it and postpones it. Now that is a lawyer's paradise. That's all in the world. It just postpone, 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 postpone. That's what he did. Oh, right, now look a little further, if you will, please. And verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment. This is Paul to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way this time, and when I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. Oh, Paul had stood there. It was a religious issue. It was the Messiah he was standing up for. It was the interpretation of the prophecies of old that he was dealing with. And he was claiming that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of these things. And he was preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says right here, and, and, and we read in verse 24, uh, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for you. Beloved, you know what the Apostle Paul did? Every time he went to court, he preached the gospel. 
every time he was called before anybody from the time he stood on the stairs, he went before the captain, every time he had a chance to open his mouth, he told his own personal testimony of how Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he became an apostle to the Gentiles. But now let's notice what kind of a judge you have. Verse 26. For he hoped also that money should have been given to him of Paul and that he might lose him. An innocent man. A man who wasn't guilty. But he was hoping, not the Jews. No, the Jews wanted money. They wanted him killed. But he was hoping that by the delaying process and by the uh, postponing strategy that somebody would come around and say, well now, uh, Your Honor, uh, I'd like to help the cause a little bit. This isn't a bribe, of course. We don't deal in briberies or anything like that. But here's just a little something I'd like to offer you as a gift and you can use it. And he was hoping that someone would give him uh, some money and then he'd let Paul go. Now, there's one thing I don't understand about this. Luke hasn't told us how he found that information out. In some of the other circumstances here, the record does tell us how Luke got that information. But how did Luke find out that uh, Felix was postponing and delaying and carrying on this sort of uh, strategy in order that somebody might give him some money. I don't know how he found it out. But I know one thing, that that characteristic is something that's not foreign to men in the positions of Felix. History's been full of such governors. History's just full of them. I'm not just sure that it's all in history. Some of it may be current. I know this, that when men are in positions of power, and men have such authority at their hands that gifts and gifts and gifts, especially at Christmas time, you get big ones, the way they fix this thing up. And you've got that type of situation right here in relationship to the Apostle Paul. Now, turn down a little further. But after two years, nobody offered him a bribe. Festus came into Felix's room. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. I told you when I started out that all these different men that Paul had him to do with were recognizing he was innocent, he wasn't guilty of death, he wasn't guilty of bonds. I told you that, but I said I was going to show you how this thing moves and how this thing works back and forth. And here Paul now, for two years he was under Felix. Felix recognized that he wasn't guilty of anything. But Felix was uh, postponing, hoping that some bribe money would be put in his hands and then he could let Paul go. But when the time came for Felix to move over and Festus to come in, he had Paul still on his hands. Paul was still bound and Paul was still before him. What was he going to do with this Jew that had become a Christian? Well, we're told that in order to please the Jews, he left Paul bound. Any justice in that? Any fairness in that? Beloved, if you think you've had uh, an injustice done to you along life's way, and most of us have in some particular, 
If you feel that the circumstances concerning your affairs haven't been handled properly by the courts or some other circumstances, we've had problems ourselves. We think that we have literally been robbed of the property that we built over here. And we think rightly so. We've been robbed. We feel we've been treated very unfairly in the United States in this particular matter. But, beloved, if you think you've been treated bad, just look at poor Paul. He just has one difficulty after another. He's not guilty. He knows it. He knows that they know it. But he knows they're holding him in bonds. And how is he ever going to get out of this situation? That is injustice. And here is where the Jews in their tremendous hatred of Paul had let their hatred be known to to Festus and uh, when Festus was moved away and Felix came in Festus or rather Felix uh, oh, I got them mixed up Festa, Felix is the first one and Festus is the second one and it was Felix who uh, left and Festus took his place and he kept Paul bound in order to show the Jews a pleasure now if you'll turn back just a little further to chapter 25 in verse 24, And when Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are with thee, ye see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. Do you realize that as long as Paul was in the hands of Felix, the Jews kept coming month after month, month after month, and say, Now, Felix, we want that man, we want that man killed, we want that man disposed of, we want that man dealt with. Now, you can't let him go, you can't let him go. And here came all these stories and all this pressure. Just keep the pressure on him. Keep the pressure on the king. Keep the pressure on the king. This man, Paul, he's a great uh, pestilent fella. He's the fella that caused all the trouble. And we've got to stay on his trail. And when Felix was to be removed in order to please the Jews, he left Paul bound. Beloved, this is the kind of pressure that pressure groups or ruling groups are able to put on political authorities to get their desire. And they kept Paul bound, kept Paul bound. You know, beloved, as far as the Jews were concerned, they wanted him killed. But as long as he was bound, he couldn't do very much anyhow. As long as he was in the hands of the, of the king and was under judgment, and long as his bounds were upon him and he was limited to the narrow sphere in which he's permitted to move, he couldn't make a missionary journey to Asia Minor. He couldn't go again over to Athens. He couldn't think about some kind of a trip to Rome. And as long as they had Paul in bonds, at least he wasn't dead, but he wasn't able to move around and carry on the activity that would cause them trouble. Now, look at the matter of Festus. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him. Beloved, he hadn't even gotten settled in office. He hadn't even gotten established in office. And he goes up to Jerusalem. He goes immediately. And who is it? The high priest are after him. 
You must do something to this man, Paul. Beloved, this is the spirit that crucified Jesus Christ. This is the spirit that said, away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Somebody said to me, just today we were talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the tremendous demonstrations he put on. All Jesus had to do was to heal somebody and the crowds gathered, but such tremendous crowds. On Palm Sunday, when he got ready to come into the city, he had palms and tremendous display as the people thronged after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All Jerusalem hailed him on the Palm Sunday, but on Good Friday they crucified him and they cried, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he said to his disciples, If they've hated me, they're going to hate you. The servant's not above his master. And what they've done to me, he says, they're going to do to you. And here Paul now is fearing, hearing this same sort of thing. And Festus comes to power. And one of the first items of importance for the high priest to deal with here is to bring before this man the apostle Paul. All right, now will you notice down in verse 9? But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul. Willing to do the Jews a pleasure. Willing to do the Jews a pleasure. No justice, just favoritism, just, just using his position to, to do something for them. Justice isn't inside. What's right or what's wrong isn't a question. It's just doing them a little pleasure. And what did he do? He answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Yes, take him up to Jerusalem. Forty men had vowed that they would slay Paul before they would eat another bite. And it was a part of their scheme to have him brought out on the highway and there he'd be waylaid. They'd lay their hands on him and then they would be able to kill him. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. Oh, Paul turns to Festus and said, I see the scheme. I understand what they're going to do. It's the same old scheme. Take me up there. Forty men have vowed they won't eat anything until I'm dead. And I'm not getting any justice from you. I appeal to Caesar. I'll go to the highest court in all the realm of the empire. I'll appeal unto Caesar. And furthermore, I have done no wrong to the Jews. And furthermore, thou knowest it. Beloved, where are men who have consciences? Where are men who have any sense of justice in this world? Oh, beloved, you and I are living in a world where men are ungodly and they're unregenerate and they don't fear God in these matters. And the land is full of them. And it's money here and favoritism here and pressure here and advantage here. And who cares anything about character anymore? Who cares anything about right or wrong? Let's move up. And we get into these big bureaus with these big politicians at the top and there's an appointment here and he spends millions this way and several million that way. And if you're in favor, you can get 
get yourself some kind of a subsidized old folks home with plenty of federal money and if you're in favor you can get the money for your school buildings over here and if you're in favor you can get something else and you never saw such an order of favors, 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 favors. And that's what they were doing right here. Every one of them says Paul wasn't guilty, but every one of them kept holding him in bonds, holding him in bonds, holding him in bonds, so they could please these pressures that were upon them from the Jews. Oh, beloved, when I think of some of the things that are being done around here, when I think of some of the pressures that are being put on here and there, when I just think about the newspapers alone and how in our immediate area there's obviously been some sort of a program to suppress, suppress, keep the news down. Beloved, if this were some Negro leader standing here tonight calling for 30,000 Negroes in Harrisburg next Saturday, it'd be front page headlines in the Philadelphia papers tomorrow morning. Just let me be chairman of the local NAACP saying I'm going to take 30,000 Negroes to the Capitol steps next, uh, uh, next uh, 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 Saturday. If I were to make statements of that sort, you'd have front page paper and they'd even be wondering whether maybe they ought not to get out the National Guards. Is that right? Of course it is. But why is this? Here's religion, here's religion, here's religion, here's the Bible, here's the issue of the ecumenical apostasy, here's the whole National Council program, here are these churches now beginning to just see, folks, we're going to have a reformation. And if this thing keeps on going, we're going to see right here in our area the same thing that's happened in North Ireland. It's going to take place. And we're going to see happen right across the United States the same thing that's happened out in South India. It's just going to take a little more time for this thing to build up and more information to get out and more Christians realizing that the gospel's at stake and the liberty to preach the gospel is being assaulted by these political powers in our country. And it'll come. Well, now let's just go a little further. Just think of Paul's troubles. Verse 10, Paul says, To the Jews have I done no wrong. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. And Paul is saying to, to Festus, you governor, you're working in hand and glove with these fellas, and you've got a plan whereby you're going to send me up to Jerusalem, but I'm going to fall into their hands, and I'm not going to permit you to work a scheme out with the Jews whereby I'll fall into their hands. I appeal to Caesar. Beloved, do you know that the incarceration of our brethren in North Ireland is that the political leaders went to the prime minister and the prime minister worked with them. He sent the home office man over to their general assembly and promised them they'd do something with Paisley. And I said this afternoon, folks, you have to live a while. You have to suffer a while. You have to see the realities of civil authorities and favoritisms. You have to see the way courts work and judges work and lawyers maneuver. You have to see these things before you understand a lot of things that are in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that the longer you live, the more precious the Bible becomes to you. 
No matter what your field of life or endeavor may be, the more experiences you have along life's pathway, there are these magnificent sections of the Bible that just speak peace to your heart and to your soul. And they will do it. All right. Now let's go to verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed to Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Nice way to pass the buck. Nice way to pass the buck. Oh, it's nice. He's gotten out of my care now. I'm going to get rid of him. And I can tell the Jews he's going to go to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. Beloved, it was the Roman citizenship of the Apostle Paul that protected him from the murderous hands of the high priest and the hierarchy that wanted to kill him. It was the citizenship which he had. And I want to tell you tonight as I stand in this pulpit, as I've traveled about this world myself, I thank God for my American citizenship. I thank God I'm a citizen of this country. I only wish that the protections of American citizenship meant a little bit more today. They meant considerably more 25 years ago than they do right now. To Caesar shalt thou go. Why didn't he turn and say, Paul... You don't need to appeal to Caesar. I know you're innocent. I know you haven't done anything wrong. I know you're guilty of nothing that deserves death or these bonds. It's a religious question. I'll take care of you, Paul. I'll I'll protect you and let you out. No. This was the way out. Not for Paul, but it was the way out for Festus. But Festus had a problem on his hand. He had a he had a prisoner to send to Rome without any charges against him. He had a prisoner to send to Rome without any any formal judgment pronounced against him. And so he puts him aside and uh, then comes King Agrippa into the picture and he says to Agrippa, I've got a man in here that the Jews are very much against. I don't know what to do with him. He says he wants to go to Caesar. I've got to honor his appeal. So would you would you kind of help me and let's see what we can fix up so we can write a letter to Augustus and get this fellow off our hands and get him on his way out of the country. Just get him out of the country. Get him on a boat and ship him to Rome and then we'll be free from this fellow that's caused so much disturbance. These Jews, they, they pestered Felix and these Jews, they pestered me and these Jews have been after us and they've had their schemes and their plans and the man is innocent and well, let's just put him on a ship and get him over to Rome and then we'll be free from him. And so Agrippa comes and our beloved, you just love this man, Paul. When he was before the, the, the people on the stairs, he stood there and he gave his testimony. And when he got before Felix, he gave his testimony. He got before Festus, he gave his testimony. And now when he gets before Agrippa, it's the greatest of all the testimonies, the whole case. He just summarized it. The lawyer that he was, the logical mind in ordering his case and building it up. And he comes right down to the very end. And then Felix breaks and says, Paul! Thou art beside thyself. Learning hath made you mad, Paul. And Paul says, No, I'm not mad. I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And then he turns to Agrippa, and he's on trial, but he's witnessing. He's before the judge who has the word over his life and over his bonds. But he's more concerned about that man's soul than anything else. And then he says, I know that thou believest the prophets. 
Then Agrippa comes back and says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The earnestness of Paul, the truth of Paul's position, the innocency of Paul, the injustice that had been heaped upon him as he had been retained in these bonds this year and that year and the year before that and all the way in which they've handled him, Agrippa saw it. He saw what was there and he says, Paul, almost you persuade me to embrace these views that you have and to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah of the Jews. Almost I persuade. Then Paul said, I would, oh, he said, I would that not only thee but all those that are in my presence were such as I am. Accept the bonds. Take away the bonds. And be a Christian. Be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I say to you tonight, the greatest thing that any man can do is to witness to Jesus Christ. Paul did it. He was in bonds. And then when, uh, when Festus and Felix and Agrippa and all the rest of them had said that this man's not guilty of anything, why, why didn't somebody say, Paul, we'll free you and let you go your way again? Nobody did it. The Jews were too powerful. The pressures were too important. The authorities demanding his death were in too high places of, of, of authority in the land. Oh, beloved, when you get into the world like this, you do this for me and I do this for you. You hold Paul bond and I'll do something else for you. You don't satisfy our demands on Paul, we'll cause you trouble somewhere else. And that's the way it is in this carnal, fleshly, political combat of the world in which you and I have found ourselves. Trading, favoritism, a nod here, a wink there, some little word to get what they want, not on the basis of justice, but on the basis of power. And Paul went to Rome. You know what that next chapter of the book of Acts is? It's just an account of the ship going to Rome. Went here, here, stopped here, stopped here. Paul told them they shouldn't go on, but they went on. They had a storm, and Paul then was on the ship, and he gave them directions, and they finally, oh, the experience of Paul. Over 270 on that ship, apparently, from the calculations we have. And before they got through, when that, saw, that boat was tumping and rolling and thundering around, and the, the, the grain had gone, and the ballast had gone, and the rigging had gone, and everything was gone. And Paul says, if you stay on this boat, not a one of you will lose a head of your hair, but anybody gets off this boat, he's going to be lost. And everybody stayed on the boat, and Paul led them in prayer. He says, now go ahead and eat, and they began to eat. And they all got safely to shore. Paul makes his way into Rome. And when the book closes, Paul is still a prisoner in Rome, Caesar's house. Prisoner. Now, beloved, you want me to turn that around for you? It was a good thing that Paul was in prison. In God's eternal purpose, he kept Paul in bonds. There's a very definite sense in which Paul's imprisonment protected his life and kept him out of the hands of the Jews. They killed Christ. They killed James, the brother of John. They were determined to kill Peter. Peter got out of jail by a miracle. Now they're determined to kill Paul. 
And God in his eternal purpose permitted Paul to stay in the protection of a jail so that he could live. And then out of his experiences he goes to Rome and when he gets him in the jail in Rome and there's a delay at Caesar, delay at Caesar, delay at Caesar. What do you do? He writes, well, Colossians. He writes Colossians and he writes Ephesians and he writes Philippians and he writes First and Second Timothy. Oh, beloved, Paul spends his time in the Roman prison under divine inspiration giving us the infallible records of the New Testament which we have today. God had to put him in prison so he'd have time and peace to write his great letters. God overrules these things. I look at Resolution 160 and think what that resolution means in the history of the state of Pennsylvania. Go back to William Penn, all our love of liberty. And here's a resolution framed by these men somewhere along the road, determined to stop a radio station, determined to, to discredit a preacher of the gospel who stands here across the eastern seaboard in the position that I occupy tonight, standing in this pulpit, preaching out of my soul, preaching with the liberty of the Spirit of God. And here are these forces, we're going to stop McIntyre, we're going to limit McIntyre, we're going to discredit McIntyre. Here's resolution 160. That'll do it. But what happens? Resolution 160 comes out and the Lord opens up doors and doors and doors and we get the word out and we're getting these issues down into churches that people never thought could ever be reached. We're getting over barriers. We're getting through. Literature is being circulated. Material is being distributed. Questions are being asked. People are being disturbed as they've never been disturbed before. And it took resolution 160 to promote this sort of thing. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. To them who are the cause according to his purpose. Paul, Acts 21, they grabbed you in the, in the temple and you didn't deserve to be grabbed. You fell into the hands of the chief captain. You went before Ananias. And then Phoebus got a hold of you for over two years. And then Festus got a hold of you. And all the political conniving and the postponing and the delay and looking for a bribe and all that sort of thing enters into this picture. As Paul is protected under bonds. As Paul is kept in the providences of God. And then God took Paul out of Palestine and away from Jerusalem. And he put him in chains in Rome in Caesar's household where he could write the blessed epistles which are ours. And the second greatest book that has ever been written so far as the English language is concerned in the furtherance of the gospel was written by John Bunyan while he was in the Bedford prison at Bedford, England. Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress was from the hand of a man who was entombed in a prison. Do you mean to say that out of all this comes Christianity? Yes. That out of all this the Spirit of God produces life? Yes. Do you mean that out of all a man can live to the glory of God? Yes. Paul hadn't done anything wrong in the temple. He hadn't done anything wrong in prison. Everybody that has anything to deal with says he's not worthy of death, he's not worthy of bonds. And yet, the last one-third of his days, 
in injustice, awful injustice, he was bound. And yet God overruled him. And beloved, if you've had disappointments, if you've had disillusionments, if you've had misjudgments of things that crossed your path along life's way, and some bitter things come to us sometimes, awfully bitter and disillusioning things happen to us, and when they happen, they're beyond our power, they're beyond our control, I say to you, my friend, remember as a believer, don't get bitter about it. God will overrule it for your good. And it may not be now that you'll understand, but someday you will understand it. And he knoweth the way that I take, and when I'm tried, I'll come forth as the purest of gold. And tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And it's the love of God in the heart of Paul. Is there any bitterness for Paul? No. Was Paul bitter at the Jews? Never, never, never. You can read this book all the way through and it talks about the Jews this and the Jews that. But when you read Romans the ninth and 10th chapter, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Oh, he said, I could have wished myself a castaway for my brethren. In, oh, beloved, he loved the Jews. And every Christian loves them. But you have to live a lot. You have to suffer a lot. You have to go through a lot of these things before some of the pages of the Bible will take life and live for you. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we thank Thee for this matchless account of the Apostle Paul. Father, we thank Thee that he's in heaven tonight with all the saints. And oh, Father, that when we get there and see the Lord, if we could just have a time with him. Paul the Apostle, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, a prisoner in bonds, Oh, Father, we see how these political authorities handled him, manipulated him, abused him, did what they wanted to to him. And yet in the midst of their injustice, the testimony is clear that he hadn't done anything worthy of bonds. Lord, we live in a world of injustice. We live in a world where brutal, cruel men forget righteousness and they play with the political powers for advantage. Lord, thou canst even take care of us in circumstances like this. How good thou art. How great thou art. Oh, Father, help us not to be troubled in spirit or in heart, but help us to look to Thee. Bring the people to Harrisburg next Saturday. Those whom Thou wouldst have there, speak to their hearts, our Father. Oh, God, we beseech Thee tonight. Thou hast said, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto Thee. Bless this congregation tonight and those who've listened on the air. For Christ's sake. Now just before the radio is shut off, and some of you people are still listening to me on the air tonight, 
I want to invite you to go with us next Saturday. There are many buses going from this area, but I think most of the people, of course, will go in private cars. But if you have a private car, fill it up. But will you come? And let's see what the Lord will do for us. He can do great things for us. All right, let's close the service now by singing to the glory of God this great hymn. 403. Great is thy faithfulness. 403. Let's stand and sing it all together.